It's Friday, May 15th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. California was one of the first states to issue stay-at-home orders, and it could be one of the last to fully open. There are many signs that coronavirus restrictions could be in place for the long haul. The Cal State University program plans to cancel almost all in-person classes in the fall. In L.A. County, safer-at-home orders have been extended indefinitely. Colleen Shalby, reporter at the LA Times, joins us for more. Next, big social media platforms have been pretty quick to stop the spread of misinformation during the pandemic. But last week, we saw the first true hit conspiracy video of the coronavirus era. It was called The Plandemic, and it got over 8 million views on Facebook and YouTube. The video has since been removed, but not before making a star out of the discredited scientist Dr. Judy Mikovits. Casey Newton, Silicon Valley editor at The Verge, joins us for what to know about the pandemic. Finally, a fun conversation with Mike Love of the Beach Boys. While isolated at his home, he wrote a new song called This Too Shall Pass to encourage positivity and also raise some money. All proceeds from the song will go to Feeding America's COVID-19 Response Fund to help food banks feed their local communities. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee and co-founder of the Beach Boys, Mike Love, joins us to talk about his new song and live music after coronavirus. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. All retailers are able to reopen for door-to-door, for door-side pickup and deliveries at the door, uh, with the exception of those who are located in indoor shopping centers and malls. And manufacturing and logistic businesses that supply the lower-risk retail businesses may also now reopen. Joining us now is Colleen Shalby, reporter at the LA Times. Thanks for joining us, Colleen. Thanks for having me. As a lot of states around the country are starting to reopen, there's a lot of signs that the coronavirus restrictions are here for the long haul in California. We were the first state to close, and it seems like we could be one of the last to reopen fully. Earlier this week, there was headlines all over the place from Barbara Ferrer saying basically that stay-at-home orders would extend possibly through July, and you know everybody caused a, a big ruckus on that. The California State University system isn't going to do any in-person classes in the fall semester. There's just so much going on that seems like these restrictions are going to stay with us for some time. Colleen, tell us a little bit about it. California has been taking a pretty cautious approach, but I think what's really interesting is that we are seeing varying responses at a county-by-county county level. So a handful of counties that are growing are easing up restrictions. Some restaurants are allowing for dining right now versus other counties like L.A. County, which is the most populous in the state that's still being hit hardest by the amount of infections and the death toll is keeping restrictions, loosening some while still trying to do it in the most cautious way, I think, to prevent a resurgence and outbreak. And that's kind of where some of the mixed messaging is. We have the governor has their own set of guidelines and this phase reopening that we're going through. And you drill it down and we're talking about like L.A. County, as you mentioned, they're not hitting any of those guidelines just yet. They haven't met any of those thresholds to reopen stuff yet. So we might see some reopening in some parts of the state, other parts, maybe not so. You know, Newsom, when he initially revealed this order, basically had kind of clear guidelines for what the counties needed to follow. And at the time, a lot of counties went beyond the order and have since started to kind of dial back. And now that Newsom is lifting restrictions, 
even further, you've got some counties that are allowed to continue on and to kind of loosen things in a much broader way. And then you have L.A. County and many of the San Francisco Bay Area counties that are not totally eased up, even though the state technically is allowing it. Although Newsom has said that many of the allowances are not for the counties that are still being pretty significantly hit. So in that regards, in L.A. County, we've got retail businesses that are opening for curbside pickup. We've got beaches that are reopening, but only for active recreation. You've got trails that are reopening, but groups are still not allowed. So they're really trying to reopen the economy slowly. And in this way, knowing that people are being pretty hurt, businesses are hurting right now. But while doing it in this very cautious way, I think because there's this real possibility that if they go too quickly, since we haven't seen a steady decline over 14 days, that things could spike back up. Let's focus a little bit on L.A. County. As I mentioned earlier, the county public health director, Dr. Barbara Ferrer, said that, uh, you know, she told the Board of Supervisors that they would have to extend the safer at home orders that were supposed to expire on the 15th. And then she caused a furor when she said, hey, this is going to be going on for another few months or indefinitely. We're going to have to practice this. And as I mentioned, it causes big confusion because we are starting to reopen certain aspects of it. And, you know, everybody's eyes just kind of rolled when they started hearing that. They're like, oh, no, we're in for three more months of this. But that's just kind of the reality that since Los Angeles County is one of the bigger hotspots for the state, they have to take a more cautious approach. Barbara Ferrer commented further on this yesterday during the L.A. County briefing, saying that there is no end date to the health officer order, which, as you mentioned, expires tomorrow, but it's since been extended. And really what's happening now is that we're being told that small gatherings are still not allowed you know, events are still not allowed, but there are these slight modifications that we're going to continue to see. So while you could go to your favorite bookstore, if it has now reopened for curbside pickup, you still can't go inside. And that's different from some other counties, which have not been as impacted and are loosening up a bit further compared to what's going on here in L.A. County. And you drill down even further, L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti just put the new rules out there that every resident is required to wear a face covering just when you leave your home. So any retail business, exercise in your neighborhood, riding on any public transportation, you need some type of face covering. And that's a bit of a change in the language from what the county officials have said. Even today, Barbara Ferrer said that all residents need to have a face mask on them at all times. But she seemed to imply that if you're doing solitary activity, like you're going for a run, you perhaps do not need to wear that face mask. But that, again, is a little bit of a confusion in the language, even from officials from the city versus officials at the county level. So I think things keep changing day by day and the messaging keeps changing. And I think everyone is trying to keep up, but there's definitely a very cautious approach here. In California, though, how many counties are we looking at that have met some of these thresholds to reopen? I know it's only a handful of them, but what are we looking at there? So there's been at least 12 counties that have reopened, I mean, to the extent that they're allowed to working with Newsom's office. And there's at least 30 others that are trying to work with Newsom to figure out how they could go about doing that. So there's quite a few and it's expanding that will reopen over the coming days or weeks. But L.A. County and some of the San Francisco Bay counties are the ones that are kind of been instructed that they can't go too far just yet. 
And I think that that could be even more confusing where you've got one county that's maybe more fully reopened and you have people that either work there or live elsewhere or travel to and from that might not know the rules of a different county. So I think now what's going to happen is that everyone just needs to pay attention to what's going on throughout the state if they have any intention of going outside of their boundaries. Colleen Shelby, reporter at the LA Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So they give you all the warning on Opdivo, the immune therapy that's a new chance for new life. And when you look at the little picture at the bottom, it says they live 12 months versus the nine months. Joining us now is Casey Newton, Silicon Valley editor at The Verge. Thanks for joining us, Casey. Thanks for having me. Whenever something like the coronavirus pandemic happens, whenever there's a big world event or something huge happening, there always tends to be some type of hoax or conspiracy theory attached to it. And these times, especially when we're all stuck at home and on the internet so much, these things generally tend to pop up. If you'll remember back in February, there was this whole thing spreading on YouTube and Facebook that was alleging that 5G cellular networks were playing a role in spreading the virus. But right now, just this past week, this other kind of conspiracy theory slash hoax thing popped up. It was a video called The Plandemic, and it featured a woman named Dr. Judy Miskovitz, and she was alleging things about Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's on the Coronavirus Task Force team. There's all sorts of craziness in this video. Casey, tell us about the video, and then we'll get into how it went viral. So the video is a conspiracy theory, as you note, and the basic idea seems to be that some shadowy elites are conspiring to use the pandemic to seize power, maybe make money by creating vaccines. And the star of this 26-minute clip that went viral is this woman named Judy Mikovits, who has become a kind of hero to the anti-vaccine crowd. She's a discredited scientist who published a book in April called Plague of Corruption that sort of depicts her as a truth teller fighting scientists who aren't willing to accept inconvenient facts. And so far-right publications began to promote her book, and this documentary that is forthcoming will apparently be taking an even closer look at these sort of baseless conspiracies. This video has, since, uh, since it kind of blew up, has been taken down. But tell us about some of the crazy accusations in it. I mean, one of the things that keeps popping up, and I think it was the main thing that really got it pulled down, was they were saying that wearing a mask will literally activate your own virus. And that is the thing that got it taken down. Platforms like YouTube and Facebook generally do not want to remove content from the network, and they try to enable a maximum of free speech, but they do make an exception for stuff that is actively harmful. And while a lot of this video pandemic is just kind of conspiracies saying, don't forget, a lot of people are making money and other people are going to become more powerful. That's not why it got taken down. It got taken down because, as you say, it warned people against wearing masks, you know, saying that it would reinfect them, which, of course, there's no basis for that whatsoever. But you can imagine if a lot of people watch that and believe that it could have a really negative effect on public health. And Dr. Judy Mikovits for herself, she does have a degree in biology from the University of Virginia, a PhD in molecular biology. She worked on the National Cancer Institute. 
Then she started getting into work about chronic fatigue syndrome and vaccines. And this is kind of where she was derailed a little bit. So like in 2009, she had published research saying that a mouse retrovirus caused chronic fatigue syndrome, which got a lot of attention, but it was discredited a couple years later and the journal ultimately retracted it. And then in this sort of like weird side story, she was actually put in jail on charges of theft, which apparently involved computers disappearing. Those charges were dropped, but the whole thing was a scandal and she was kind of sidelined and lost her scientific career. But after that, she sort of drifted into this anti-vax crowd. And because of the credentials that you mentioned, the anti-vaxxers have sort of lifted her up as this brave truth teller, even though what she's saying is largely nonsense. So let's talk about how something like this goes viral. The usual players come up, obviously, Facebook and YouTube have a huge part in this just because of how big the platforms are. But there was a lot of Facebook groups that were sharing this. And then beyond that, even as you mentioned, there's a lot of mistruths in this video, but it also takes time for their fact checkers to go through this. So as you mentioned, they didn't take it down right away. It kind of was circulating around for a while while they were trying to do some of that fact checking. The way that things go viral on Facebook and YouTube is always changing based on things that the platforms do to try to stop bad stuff from happening. And sort of like as soon as they fix one problem, another emerges. So over the past year, Facebook has put a lot more attention on groups, getting people to join groups, kind of moving you away from that newsfeed. And there are a lot of conspiracy groups, anti-vax groups where this video clip was very popular. And what happened is people were sharing it in the group and what they were sharing was actually a link to YouTube. And so from those Facebook groups, they were able to send 7.1 million views to one video within a period of between 36 and 48 hours. So just within that short period of time, Facebook drove all of that traffic to YouTube. And so it was kind of an unwitting tag team between the two platforms that sent this thing viral. It did take a while for the platforms to fully understand what was in the video. The video is 26 minutes long. It contains a lot of claims and they had to go through it sort of point by point and ultimately make the determination that it had to come down. But it sort of speaks to this quote that is attributed to Mark Twain that the lie gets halfway around the world before the truth can put its shoes on. And that was definitely the case here. Casey Newton, Silicon Valley editor at The Verge. Thank you very much for joining us. It's my pleasure. People are wondering how long it'll last. As the saying goes, this too shall pass. Well, I believe the best is yet to come. So let's get back to having fun, fun, fun in the sun. Joining us now is Mike Love, legendary Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, Grammy Award winner, and co-founder of the Beach Boys. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Thank you, Oscar, for having me on. You just released a new song called This Too Shall Pass. It is about our lives right now during this coronavirus pandemic, and it's just a fun way to encourage some positivity during this time. You wrote this. You had... John Stamos come on on the drums for the video that you guys made for this. Tell us a little bit about the song and why you wrote it. Well, I was thinking, you know, this year, the Beach Boys had the biggest year ever of our career, believe it or not, with all these concerts lined up and all of a sudden, 
it came to a screeching halt. So I was sitting at home in my studio in Lake Tahoe, which is overlooking the beautiful lake and everything. And I was thinking about how much we are all going through. So I just started writing out a little poetry, a little poem about, we all remember when school was out, was a cause for celebration. Nobody ever even thought about closing down entire nations. And and so on and so forth. And I also wanted to give a shout out to the first responders and the National Guard and doctors and nurses working real hard, which I did. But I wanted to come up with a, a message of this will pass. People are wondering how long it'll last. As the saying goes, this too shall pass. And pretty soon we'll get back to having fun, fun, fun in the sun. I was just right. picking up on something we did in the mid-60s. I did want to mention that all of the money that is raised from people buying this and all will go to Feeding America's COVID-19 Response Fund. And that helps right. food banks across the country support their communities during this pandemic. A lot of people have been impacted by this and losing their jobs, and, and it's hard to feed their families and themselves. So it's a great cause that all the proceeds go to all of this. But you mentioned about this too shall pass, and we will get uh -huh. back to it. And I firmly believe that we will. But speaking of the music world, how do you think this is going to change live music? Not 100% sure, and we're waiting for clearance, and it depends on what state you're in, actually. We had a whole bunch of stuff lined up in L.A., like the Hollywood Bowl on the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th of July, all canceled, all gone. And we had a June in Europe, but, but that's postponed until next year. So we don't really, couldn't tell you for sure when we'll be able to get back to doing a normal concert. However, we're going to be very appreciative when we do. We're going to appreciate it even more. I've always loved the live music part of it more than recording. I mean, the recording is great, and it's great to make a great sounding record and stuff. But in this case, this two show pass, we did it in seven different locations. We didn't even see each other in person. You talk about social distancing. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> I called our keyboard player, Tim, who lives in Vegas and got the tempo on the key of what we're going to sing. And then we sent it to our musical director who put together a basic track in Lakeland, Florida, where he lives, then sent it on to a couple of our guys who live in Nashville and then out to California and my son, Christian. And of course, after I did my thing in my home studio in Lake Tahoe, we sent it to John Stamos, who did the drums, and he produced the video, which you can see on YouTube and stuff. So it was really weird. Seven different locations right. to come up with this song. It was, it was different. Last question I have, how do you feel about the country reopening? Do you think it's time? I know you, in the song, you even say, be safe, be careful, do what's advised to do by the health yes. experts and all. But yes. do you feel that it's ready? Do you feel we're getting towards that point at least? I honestly do, because I think if people are just sensible, like maybe wear a mask if you go to a ball game or a whatever kind of game and or concert, and maybe they take your temperature or something like that you know, on the way in. I mean, there's a lot of treatments that are coming on board, have come on board. Maybe there'll be a vaccine and stuff. But in the meantime, I think we can have life a little more like we're used to, being able to go to a basketball game or a football game and, and a concert and stuff like that. Just be sensible, that's all. Right. And I just want everybody to remember that everything that is made from this new song, This Too Shall Pass, will go to Feeding America's COVID-19 Response Fund. Mike Love, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Oscar, for getting the word out. Appreciate it a lot. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at 
Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.